0: People need to understand they need to master their role, so they build a solid foundation, so as they ascend within an organization and their career, there aren't holes. Because if there's holes in the foundations, you're going to get exposed, and that's that's a way to topple over in the future. Take your time, figure out what you're doing, do it well, and then do the next thing.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. This is, of course, the Freestar Blood, Sweat, and CPMs podcast.
2: I am your host, Jeff Kudashevich. And I'm Andy Forwork, your co-pilot, guiding you through this wild world of ad tech.
1: Andy, I love having you as my guide Uh, especially in this wild world. Uh, On today's show, we're going to have our special guest, Mike Petrella from Verizon Media. Uh, We're chatting with Mike about his management style, how he's seen the business evolve over the years, being at AOL and different iterations uh, at Verizon. And then, of course, we're going to break down the top Reddit AdOps threads of the week. Before we get into that, Andy, did you see a little incident with a tennis player Uh, a few days ago mr novak Djokovic (laughs) over at the u.s open
2: yeah i might have seen something on uh, the old espn there (laughs) what did he do he uh he hit his ball towards the wall in frustration and struck yep Yep. what what is that person called that he struck The, the lines judge a lines judge in the throat of
1: all places and the throat is a bad place to strike anybody, let alone with a flying object, uh, let alone when they're there really to help you in your sport, right? Look, I, I used to play tennis way back in the day. It's a very mental, heady game. It's one-on-one, unless you're playing doubles, obviously. I can do math. And there there will be times like that where you're just frustrated and you don't know what to say or do uh novak has a little bit of history of this and yeah maybe you're not quite as familiar with the tennis world but certainly you're a big sports fan any any thoughts for s- similar type of things you've seen in the past
2: well maybe not uh physically harming or well of course i don't think he meant to actually hit the ball at the person uh so we'll give him that but i think you know, baseball pitchers have the same kind of mental uh, toughness, uh, or, or, or you know, that could that could collapse. And uh, one of the things that comes to mind when when seeing a player, you know, that's just that much into the game is um, uh, maybe thinking back to uh, this weekend. Actually, I think it was Clayton Kershaw throwing a no hitter against the Diamondbacks, um, my Diamondbacks, and uh, Jeff's Dodgers. And And you could see. I'm not gonna.
1: (laughs) I don't look. I I rep L A real hard, but to to call me a baseball fan would would be a disservice to baseball fans. So very very into indirectly Jeff's Dodgers.
2: Sure, but looking at uh, Kershaw as I was watching the game, you could see it in his face that mental. You know he's in the game. There's no one else. If somebody talked to him, he could snap on that person just the same way as as the tennis player did. And apologies, I'm not a big tennis fan. I just don't want to say his name because I think I might butcher it.
1: Sure, <laughs> no, no back Djokovic. Um, yeah, and the and the thing is, of course, the internet being the internet, somebody finds a clip of him a while back, basically getting asked by a, a reporter, "Hey, you." Why do you do all these demonstrative things? Are you not worried at some point they're going to suspend you? And his cocky retort, of course, is, "Well, they haven't, you know, basically they haven't done it yet, so obviously I, I'm not breaking any rules." Uh, and then, sure enough, he gets ejected from the tournament, and and now but I not think just
2: that, any tournament, right? This right, is a US Grand Slam Open. event, yeah, Grand the U.S. Slam. Open. This is yeah. this is major.
1: And I think it, this will be one of the f- one of the few um, Grand Slams in the last few years where uh, Federer, um, Rafa Nadal, or or uh, Djokovic aren't going to be in the semis or, or something like that. I f- forgot what you know, what stat I saw about that, but yeah, really interesting. Uh, losing your cool like that, Andy. I'm ready to talk some adops topics hopefully we don't snap thankfully we're doing this virtually so even if you do snap you can't fling a tennis ball at me certainly not at my throat
2: yeah definitely uh, won't be doing any of that but you know if i if i get upset or something maybe i can just like hard hang up is that like a thing on the internet you know like how you used to like slam the phone in. you know like, uh, like the like other end you would hear that we don't vir- have that anymore
1: where is that you could maybe play a sound And then that will let me know that you're hanging up on me, but it's really, you're just exiting the browser.
2: Yeah. And then, yeah, maybe he can think about using some kind of sound in his tennis game in the future to get that frustration out, huh?
1: (laughs) All right, Andy, now the moment of truth. Our time to break down the top Reddit AdOps threads of the week. In case you don't know, which I would imagine most don't, I actually started the AdOps subreddit in 2012, and it's now somehow become one of the leading AdOps communities in the industry. What do you think, Andy?
2: Yeah, it's a great community, happy to be a part of it. Uh, I, I'm excited for this segment to just run down all the different threads that we see over the weeks and you know, give our opinions on it.
1: Awesome, man first thread up is entitled what are the best paying video ads for a website with decent fill rates Andy we we've, we've certainly dealt with outstream and instream as this users talking about here I want to throw out a few quick hitters and and take it from there so player size is important you know size is important if you hit a certain width I think usually it's about 500 pixels wide now you're in this large player category your CPMs just will naturally be higher being in that higher category. Certain things like quality of your traffic, your vertical, it's a lot of crossover between the display side and and the video side. Certain other things that aren't display oriented, like quartile tracking, you know, number of video completes, that sort of thing. Advertisers are going to have different KPIs. Obviously, clicks are not nearly as important on the video side as they are on on display. Anyone talk about in stream versus out stream a little
2: bit? Yeah, Jeff. So, the difference between out stream and in stream. You're likely going to see a lot higher CPMS on the in stream. As you alluded to, the players are typically wider. Think of YouTube showing video ads. That's your basic in-stream type of content. So if you're going with the outstream option, uh, you're going to be looking at probably putting that video into the content. It's only going to be serving video ads. Probably not other content with it. Like as and when I talk about content, I mean like your own publisher, you know, how-to video or something like that. You know, proprietary in, in-house content.
1: Andy you mentioned having the the unit pot- potentially run within content. The other thing I wanted to touch on, we talk about it fairly frequently, but it's not always considered as the, you know, making sure whatever solution you go with complies with the Better Ad standards. It's pretty easy to follow, but it's also pretty easy to forget it exists, particularly on mobile. You want to make sure if you for instance, have a sticky footer video player that it's not covering more than I believe it's 30% of the screen.
2: Yeah. So you make a good point about, you know, looking at the better ad ad standards and, and staying within those guidelines. The other thing you want to think about with Outstream is that you're going to be running probably a lot of providers through the Outstream, meaning trying to rotate different video vendors into that. And you really need to pay attention to how much weight on the page and, and CPU power is being used by these video ads. There could be very heavy video ads that are constantly running tracking scripts. Jeff mentioned the quartile reporting, how many completes, how, how far you know the quartiles are 25, 50, 75% through, or 100%. So, with all these other events that you're trying to track, a lot of times you can see that it uses more of the user's computer. Uh, so trying to stick with some vendors where you're not seeing performance hiccups like that, I think is really key. And that's probably also going to lead you to a better source of, of revenue as well. The, the cleaner, more high quality ads in the video space are going to usually lead you down a uh, higher profitability.
1: Andy, next up is just entitled Ad Ops Talent. The, uh, I, I like the first line here, quote, genuine question, where is the best place to find Ad Ops Talent? Genuine answer. I think first thing is look at your own network, right? So th- this person's talking about having to replace their right hand person at their, at their company. So maybe it's a more valuable role that they need to fill, maybe a needs to do a little bit of everything do you have anybody in your network who can do this right whether it's contacts whether it's vendors personally whenever i have a good conversation with a vendor i take note you know it's a small industry we all end up working for each other at some point so if i have good conversations with somebody who wows me, or or maybe just hey, I, I know you know a lot of people, so it's somebody I might reach out to later. I always go there first, just see does anybody I know or anybody who they know um, have any leads or know of anybody who's looking for work who who maybe is in need. I'll, I'll, also, I, I'll, I'll add as we're sort of expanding, kind of the next place I'll, I'll typically look are just probably some of the the resources you. Probably know, LinkedIn, the you know the Reddit AdOps community. With this person posted on AdMonsters, and you've you've obviously hired quite a few people here at Freestar. Where do you find top talent? How do you find it?
2: Yeah, I think it's a lot of the things you said, Jeff. Coming to the AdOps subreddit is a great place to start, though. It's a community of. Of people that like to do this. But yeah, there's a there's a job board in there. Uh, so you could probably put your job description in there just to see if, if people are interested. I mean, really comes down to you get what you work you put into it. Try to look through LinkedIn. Even if you think the job title would be simple as like ad operations manager or something like that, try to get creative and see if you can come across other titles. I know in this industry, there's a lot of non-standard titles. Uh, Here at Freestar, Jeff and I are working in the publisher operations department, which is, you know, sort of new to me when, when I joined Freestar. It wasn't necessarily, usually it was the ad operations department. So even just little things like that can
1: Exactly. It's just a little nuance where I don't even know how many times I end up having to change the search parameter where I'll say director, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll do blah, 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 director or senior manager or whatever it is. Right. And just try to get as many different parts of it. Or, you know, if you're looking for somebody in a yield capacity, You have to look for yield, monetization, revenue, revenue operations, all of these different things that there's no universal term in this industry for a lot of these roles. So you really have to see the background to understand if they could be a
2: fit or not. I'll also add, though, that it is it is very hard to find um, people that do these jobs and you know, they're out there. It it takes a while though. It it's not surprising to me that it's it's hard to fill these kinds of positions because they're very specific and there's not a lot of I mean they're they're describing that they need a person that's good at add ops but also good at talking to clients. And those are two skill sets that don't necessarily always align.
1: The last thing I wanted to add is not all of somebody's talents are necessarily on the page either. And that's when it gets really tricky. Somebody saying on their resume or even on their LinkedIn, great with speaking to clients. And then you get on the phone with them and you're like, I don't want them to speak to me, let alone a client. So some of these things you just kind of learn when you go through the process, but you try to eliminate as much as you can along the way. And if you can be, be more flexible, to Andy's point, some of those things you're looking for maybe a bit of a unicorn and maybe it's just going to be too hard to find. So maybe instead of having one, maybe really highly paid person who can do three things, maybe find two people who are less expensive, but do those things. Uh, Next thread is sticky footer vendors. Are there any premium sticky footer vendors who perform well through Previt I will just going to rattle off a few names, 33 Across, Gum Gum, Undertone, some that I, I think Underdog, Underdog Media also has a pre bit adapter info links, which I believe is just tag-based still. There's lots of vendors who do Sticky Footer on its own, like what I would call direct sold quote-unquote premium. So on this note about this, the Sticky Footer vendors, Andy, I think really the only thing here is kind of making sure that all of the demand, not just the premium vendors, can actually compete, right?
2: Premium sticky footer to me, it, it kind of the example product I think of right away is GumGum. And if you've seen this, it's more obvious on mobile, I think. And uh, when you go to the site, you know, it'll show the ad at the bottom as it comes up, but then there's kind of a border that wraps around the whole screen. You know that's inherently different than an IAB standard 320 by 50. So in your tech stack, if you're already running your own sticky footer, you're going to have to accommodate for a different type. So if you've built something that already has a close button and holds the ad nicely at the bottom, those are the things you need to kind of account for. Uh, So running this through prebid is the way to go. It's just then a, a. whether you know, you know, did gum gum win? And if it did, okay, well then the code is handled a little bit differently there. So that's just something to think about when you're going down that road.
1: Next thread, Andy is what's an industry secret in media slash ad tech. So my industry secret is that you actually don't need a degree uh, to be in this industry. Most of us don't have a degree at all related to what we do. Some of us don't have a degree in general. Most of us learned on the job, wherever they were. I'm a philosophy major. I did not for one second learn or think about advertising before I started in this industry. And it worked for me. I like the cultures. I like the way people are laid back. It's probably been A long time since I've dressed up outside of some client calls and and that sort of thing Um, in in any kind of fancy wear. I'm not a fancy wear kind of person. You just have to have a good head on your shoulders. Having experience is good or, or getting your foot in the door somewhere. A lot of it honestly just comes down to, are you keeping up with what's going on in the industry? Did you learn from other people who were in it uh, I learned from a guy Greg when I first started at break what dart was how to how to serve ads there's no schooling there was no certificate I got I just started and they taught me the job and I was like okay I get it I'm doing it uh, it was frustrating at times but I'm doing it um, and and I'll I'll do a little self-promotion here uh, freestar kind of saw this uh, from our virtual retreat a, a few months ago. And we just quickly decided as an organization that we're just not going to ask for college degrees anymore. Um, you know, maybe if we're looking for, I don't know, a, a, another lawyer or uh, maybe a data scientist, I don't know somebody who needs actual education specific to their field. But outside of that, we just thought there's no point in asking for this maybe more antiquated hiring practice to to persist. And hopefully it helps us get different people from different backgrounds who maybe would have otherwise been not able to apply because they saw, oh, there's a qualification that I don't hit. One of the things that I also learned when we were talking about that topic is most female candidates, if they don't see that they've hit every single requirement are not going to apply for a role. So if for whatever reason we had required four year um, degree from an accredited university or college, and they just happened to not be a person who had that, but they were great at every other thing, we might have lost a potential great candidate from applying just because we had a requirement that is not, it doesn't make sense anymore.
2: Yeah, Jeff, I was thinking about this and, you know, I am a tech person, so I innately go to the the tech side of things and want to look at everything tech, but to the outside person coming into this industry, we call it ad tech, we call it ad operations, so it may seem a little bit more techy than than it actually is. I think this business is really and this industry is really built around the people and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with like networking at conferences and and just talking to people. And, and what you learn is that not every person that you talk to really is like behind the scenes, the tech side of it, but they can speak to it just because they've worked in it and learned it. So it's, it's something I think you quickly pick up on. Uh, there's a lot of acronyms. That's maybe another uh, trade secret here. There's a lot of acronyms you got to learn. But yeah, I think it's it's a little bit less intimidating if you just think of it like, oh, well, I'm just going to go talk to people and, you know, work with people that know things about how we should advertise to, to folks on the Internet.
1: All right, Andy, it was great talking about some industry trade secrets. Now let's go pick Mike's brain, our special guest
2: from Verizon Media. Sounds like a great idea, Jeff. Let's see what Mike has to say.
1: And now welcome to our special guest, Mike Petrella, who is the vice president in the Global Partnerships Organization for Verizon Media, where he has been for over 21 years, including roles in sales, account management, operations, and most recently, global partnerships. Mike was actually the fourth employee for TechnoSurf, which eventually became Advertising.com. He was a board member for the Townsend University College of Business and Economics, where he co-authored a master's curriculum for programmatic marketing, rewrote the Interactive Marketing 401 undergrad class, teaching both staff and students, and started a mentoring program for the College of Business and Economics, the CBE, for undergrads. Mike's been married for 18 years to Michelle Petrella, and together they have two daughters, Anna and Lucy, and live in Phoenix, Maryland. Welcome to the show, Mike.
0: Thanks for the invite. It's good
1: to see you guys again. Yeah, likewise. Uh, Mike, so to get started, can you talk us through how
0: you got into ad tech in the first place? Uh, tell us through your, about your career journey. Sure. Um, ad tech sort of found me. So I was a senior in college and I was playing in a band. And in addition to that, I was also a British literature major. Sounds very typical for ad tech, right? Yeah, no, it's the perfect, <laughs> the perfect bio, bio here. The drummer in my band was best friends with a guy named John Ferber, and John was a co-founder to the company Technosurf. So he and his brother founded it one day I came to band practice in a suit and tie uh, as I had an interview with the FDA for an internship. And John Ferber happened to be there. He's like, what are you doing in a suit and tie? I like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, good, good question at a band practice, right? Exactly. He's like, no, nah, forget that. Uh, don't work for the government. My, my brother and I are going to start a company. Uh, come with us. And I remember my father is a, was a principal and superintendent. So I actually had Scott Ferber, who was the the business side of the co-founders, write my father a letter to convince him that I should go to the startup called TechnoSurf. And so if you could imagine, you know, a very regimented Italian household where like it's very patriarch. And so it was four of us in the townhouse in Towson. uh, And that was TechnoSurf. And that was my start. My job was the network recruiter. And my, I had to go out to various websites and see if they would take a twenty-five cents CPC campaign for Capital One, um, which was our first advertiser. And Mike, you did you know what a CPC was at this point when you're pitching it to people? Barely. So, like, you know, the first the first day was a lot of whiteboarding and acronyms, and you know, it's I didn't realize how many acronyms you could possibly use in an industry. And I think within that first day, my head almost exploded. So. What I did was I worked all day as an intern, technically uh, earning 25 bucks a day, and then went to school at night for two semesters.
1: And so, 25
0: bucks a day, not bad. Yeah, it's better than most uh, startups are paying. So yeah, I, I did that. Like I did 36 credits uh, over two semesters at night while helping startup uh, TechnoSurf and Advertising.com. And when I graduated in December 99, you know, my, my present to myself was to literally stop going to night class. So I, I got lucky, right? A door opened. A friend had confidence in me and I stepped into it and essentially built out, you know, what was the TechnoSurf and Advertising.com network. And during that time, a lot of experience, right? You know, we went from this startup where like shoes and shirt were optional to, hey, we have like A, B, and C funding and we have clients coming in, like tuck your shirt in and drinking <laughs> beer at lunch in front of clients anymore. And so we and we brought in like people who weren't friends either you know, for us, it was a transition from what was like this friendly startup that actually had potential to a business, it brought in a number of folks with experience who helped us take a number of steps. I myself like began management experience in 2004. I remember going out to California at San Francisco every other week for a year because we didn't have a West Coast presence. And so I was, you know, so you were like moonlighting as the West Coast presence, more or less. Yeah. I mean, I had a team in Baltimore and I would travel between Seattle and Los Angeles, uh, which was like the luxury of it was wonderful right you know like frequent flyer miles hotels it was it was an awesome experience and you know fortunately uh, i've i've navigated the waters for the past 21 years and you know through the purchase uh, by aol verizon i've really looked at it as opportunity you know here i am today so yeah it, it was a rather unique entry into the ad tech world, I'm proud of I'm proud of like being able to step through that door myself and then continue the journey. You know,
2: I feel like I'm pretty OG when it comes to ad tech in this industry, but not not quite your level there. <laughs> I'm impressed with that AOL and Verizon, like them buying you out, like when you told people you worked for AOL, like they probably thought that was cool. But then like, what do people say when now you say you work for Verizon?
0: It depends on the audience, right? I remember, so I I had a board position uh, for Towson University's College of Business and Economics. And one of the board members was from McCormick, the spice company. And I remember she was like, well, you have a pedigree. Like, what are you talking about? She goes, you work for AOL. I'm like, you think that's a pedigree? Right? Because every other conversation I had with people was like, AOL, hey, well, like my grandmother has that account, like still around. But when you say Verizon, people's eyebrows, you know, kind of go up and, and they listen more. It's, it's, it's a brand that resonates as a leadership brand. And, and really, like in, in this pandemic environment, I'm very proud of the, the social responsibility that Verizon shown.
1: I was going to ask, Mike, just does it feel different being at AOL versus much larger organization, world-renowned
0: Verizon? Parts of it are. I've always appreciated the autonomy. It's it's a very ask for forgiveness before permission type environment. We're given plenty of opportunity to fail for, in a calculated manner, right? Like calculated failure is by far like the greatest step to success. That hasn't changed. The ability to, to implement change takes a little bit longer, right? Like... With Technosurf and advertising.com, I remember had an idea for like an affiliate program. The product was like, okay, what do you need? And then engineers built it in a week. With Verizon, it's a $136 billion company, right? And, and not, too, not too many things happen in a week, I'm guessing. Exactly. Like there, there's very little instant gratification, but it's done in the right manner. When we think about it's a large company, it's there's a number of areas of focus. And so you have to sort of figure out what those pillars are and, and focus on those to ensure that you know you become leaders in specific areas and not a jack of all trades. And, and we see like in this industry, the jack of all trades, just they become less and less competitive and relevant. And so slower, but uh, the process is better. And, and I like the direction like that we're going in.
1: Having been at AOL for a while and our paths crossing there as well, I should add, seeing the different iterations of that company, can you talk us through what that was being on your side of that?
0: I mean, I was jealous of the gravity office from day one. <laughs> well, we, we had a very Surfer right. LA vibe to the, us. You know, Main Street on Santa Monica, wetsuits on the ceiling, or on the rooftop. I, I remember distinctly in... January of 2000, being in a uh, in a room at what's now the Under Armour headquarters. It used to be the old Procter and Gamble plant in Baltimore, and the front door was a four by eight piece of plywood that had like a hard hat mandatory sign if you walk past <laughs> it. And we had rented the space out. Ferber was saying like, if we keep this up, everyone in this room is going to be a millionaire. I could tell a 23 year old kid that. You're like, yeah, everyone's And We were just like. And we were working from like eight o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night, have dinner, then work again till like 10 o'clock, you know, go out to the bar, get home by like midnight then get right back in. The thing that hasn't changed for me is the culture in Baltimore. And that's by far one of the the most important pieces because your culture is your lifeline, right? And and once the culture is compromised, the company is doomed to fail. And so that's, that's been the constant in the sense of all these iterations. Like There were definitely high points and low points. When Falco and, and Ron Grant took over the company, we were basically hoping that the brand itself would steer us through. You saw guys like Google become more prominent, Facebook, you know, DoubleClick was at that point. We sort of failed And We launched this company called Platform A, and that was like an umbrella company of a number of acquisitions we had. And we sat in this room and we saw the logo come out, and you could just see the morale deflated. About a year or two later, Tim Armstrong came and and like, God bless that guy. He came and just instilled energy and direction and hope. And I mean, he bought gravity too, which is really cool. You saw that energy come back. But more importantly, he enabled leadership based on a geolocation. So like you had a central, you know, you had a headquarters, but at the same time, Baltimore was advertising.com. There's still like, I'm there 21 years, but there's guys and, and women and men who've been there, you know, 10, 12, 15, 16 years. Right. And that's, it's, it's, it's representative of the fact that like, we love what we do, but more importantly, we love who we're working with and and where we're working. And so like have things changed Yeah, Of course. Right. Like I, some of my best friends no longer work with me. Right. They've gone on to bigger and better things. And like with millennial was started from folks from advertising.com. Then we bought millennial. We're like, Hey, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, it was those relationships that, that makes you want to keep doing this because you get to keep meeting people and keep, and as more people come in, like you, you bring them into this culture, they buy in, right? And if you don't buy in, like we don't want you. You could be the smartest person in the world. It could be great. But if you don't buy in and don't fit in, go work somewhere else. Like We don't need toxicity. We don't need a cancer. That's been sort of like the 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 most consistent piece. There's leadership changes, you know, there's new products, there's shifts, but at the end of the day, like, if you enjoy who you're working with and you create an environment that's supportive, collaborative, you know, challenging and rewarding, like you're in good shape. And I think that's what's been most important through from the very start when it was four of us in the townhouse and we blew like twenty five hundred dollars on our company party at Ruby Tuesdays, you know. <laughs>
2: just,
0: you know, and I was like the next day might have been a little slow at the office, but you know, it's that same mentality where it's like, just have fun what you're doing. Like you work hard, you play hard and, and you're, you're there to be a part of a team. There, there's no individual success. It's all about the collaboration and, and the, the collective success.
2: Now, I, I mean, kind of talking about, you know, culture and teams, now we're dealing with coronavirus and how's that been for you? Like, how's that affected your team or, you know, are there things you're doing to make it, make it like you're in an office almost.
0: We've done a very good job of creating an environment, like an understanding environment where no one's expected to be available in the same manner that they were. We do something every morning called coffee talk. We all get together at nine o'clock every morning. And from nine to 9.15, we talk about non-work stuff. And if you talk about work stuff, you get kicked off the call, right? (laughs) It's a way to just simply talk as a human being to someone else but what, what's come of that is just you realize like people are people and that sounds pretty stupid but at the end of the day you, you know a lot of people's workplace persona you don't understand their 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 full life and so on our team like you know we're, we're a very close team so there was more knowledge but as you talk to your peers you see like i remember i was on the phone with a with a, with a vp um at conde and her, and her son comes running the room She's like, i'm sorry i'm like for what you know it's like we're all dealing with the same stuff and you see like this personalization of your partners of your clients uh, you know of your peers and it's it's a rose in a very thick thorn bush Um, and i think you start to get more tolerance and you start to get more appreciation just for like who you're talking to and working with i'm proud of my team and i'm proud of the organization like as a whole i think we've done a very good job of just you know extending resources making sure people are are doing as best they can and in times where Folks are struggling, you know. Having that that leniency and that sympathy and that empathy to be like, I get it, right? This is this is not the norm, and everything's not okay. And it's okay that it's not okay, right? Like we're here to help, and and whatever you need. So,
2: kind of talking to like twenty one years and all these different mergers and acquisitions and just changing. There's also like issues that are always involved in advertising, and whether it's you know the death of the cookie that we're kind of currently dealing with, or you know things of the past, like how have you like seen those types of things evolve over the years? I
0: thought GDPR was going to bankrupt the EMEA economy. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate the fact that there is a need for transparency and the majority of the general public, and especially those that don't work in programmatic, don't fully grasp the power of data, right? The power of identity and, and, and really what can be done and when done properly, right? It's, it's a, to the benefit to the user. When done maliciously, it opens up a number of avenues. And I think the protections that we're seeing are put in place, they always have a loud initial roar, right? Like, what's going to happen? And what, who's using my data? What's happening? Now I can't do this. Now I can't do that. I, I think there's somewhat of a normalization that follows like the initial shock, chromageddon, uh, you know, a cookie world is an ITP, and you know, I think there's like five other acronyms that have to do with <laughs> identity. <Yeah. laughs> I think they're going to materially change the way that we interact with each other, um, whether it's on a, a B2B or a B2C basis. And, you know, there's a number of companies, Verizon Media included, that are preparing themselves for what this environment could look like. You never know how prepared you are until the environment actually happens. They have impacts, but there's always, again, like that first emotion that first shockwave relative to what the norm is. I I do think that we're moving in a direction that the consumer and the consumer's data are valued and should be protected. I'm all for that. I think what we'll find is that, you know, it's, it's more about the convenience of today's world and the way data is shared and how people react to the inconvenience. There's all these new mediums that people are being exposed to that you have the, the leadership and the shockwave and the normalization of, you know what? I have 17 streaming services. Okay, I, I probably only need three. I have 175 apps on my phone. I use four of them. Oh, everyone like, pays attention to the bright, shiny object. But at the same time and take a step back and it becomes part of uh, of the way we think, the way we live, the way we work. I'm confident in the fact that the programmatic industry is a multi-billion dollar industry and more and more is switching to online from brick and mortar and from linear television and whatever the case is. As we continue to move in that way, you have to do things to support the way that the, the human interactions and businesses are evolving. And if you continually try and do things that will significantly handicap them, people will understand that and they'll make the, they'll make the proper concessions. I don't think people should have to you know, concede everything, but I, I think there's a happy medium that will reach just through experience. Mike,
1: we talked a lot about Verizon,
0: AOL, the
1: industry. I want to ask, what's your typical day look like? What's the Mike day look like?
0: pre or post COVID?
1: <laughs> let's say let's say during COVID. I don't know that we're in a post yet. That's
0: fair. So I typically start the day somewhere between uh, six and seven o'clock in the morning. Some days I will head out to the golf course and tee off around 645 and get nine holes in and be home and ready to go by 830. Other days I'll go out for a walk just to kind of clear my head and get moving. You know, I'm on the computer around 830 and I, I typically use the first 15 to 30 minutes to prioritize. What do I need to get accomplished today? What meetings do I have? You know, am I prepared to ensure that you know, nothing catches me by surprise? Nine o'clock, we do our coffee talk. And that's done by about uh, 9.15. And then from 9.15 to about 9.30, I have those 15 minutes where I'll go and look at my performance reports. Right? Where are we to go? What changes have occurred? Essentially, like, are there any red flags or anomalies that we need to take care of? Are there any emails in my inbox that have like a screaming siren in the subject line or an exclamation point? And then it's typically there's a number of meetings. So Monday are the majority of our like team meetings. So meetings with my boss and his leads. I have one on ones with each of my leads once a week, a number of product meetings. My role currently is working with our owned and operated brands and third party partners. I'm probably on the phone or in meetings about 50% of the time. And we're talking about you know the performance opportunities, opportunities to bring in like third parties for content partnerships or co-branded opportunities, looking at new business. In that 50% of the day
1: where it's meetings, Are these ones that you can generally know what to expect or some of these more ad hoc?
0: Most are planned. Um, Like my role is to do a lot of vetting as well to explore opportunities. And if it's something that we want to pursue, I've been spending a lot of time on identity as well. So working with our product team, you know, on, on what Verizon Media is doing for that. Plenty of time with, you know, accounting and finance to ensure like, hey, here's where we're pacing. A typical day is, doesn't happen. A typical day is the fact that it could go any, you know, any different way. And there's always the fire drill, right? So yesterday there was a minor fire drill uh, that fortunately, like we we were able to put out pretty quickly. But honestly, I would say 50% of my time is speaking with partners, whether they're internal or external. 25% of the time is just internal meetings, whether it's, you know, revenue, finance, accounting, uh, goals and such. And then you have your one-on-ones and like the the more team interface. I actually get time to work every once in a while too. So um, (laughs) Between rounds of golf, right? Yes. Yeah. Typically at night, uh, just I'll be you know if I'm watching television, I'll pick my phone up and just say, "Oh, it's here's the 30 emails I was supposed to get to today."
2: <laughs> sure. <laughs> kind of leave with this one. Uh, so, somebody you know looking in, to get into our industry of ad tech, digital advertising, is there any advice that you'd give somebody today that you know might help them?
0: Be humble, quite honestly, and I say that because. Know when 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 I was younger at twenty one and twenty two, I didn't even realize you could copy and cut and paste from one email to another. I thought it was an all one document. <laughs> <right>? So like <laughs> they didn't teach that in college. And so if you can imagine, like my 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 technical prowess was really poor kids and undergrads today are coming from a far more learned environment where technology has been part of their their upbringing and part of their schooling part of their part of them i think there's an opportunity to to harness that knowledge but at the same time you have to understand that you don't know everything you have to find an opportunity where you can apply what you bring to the table and i mean that in the sense of like if i'm talking to a candidate how can you benefit what this company is doing. What experience do you bring? Like, have you built an app? Do you, are you an influencer, right? What are the things that you're doing that makes you stand apart from any other candidate? And how can you leverage that to benefit yourself and the company in this role that you want? And I think that that humility and humbleness and, and really like the willingness to kind of, to just learn is, is important. Because, you know, I mean, we've, I've been in this space, you guys have been in this space just as long. A lot of stuff has changed in the past year. Two years, five years, ten years—you know—it's like—and so I can only imagine what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I kind of—I have this like fear of—you know—you talk to your parents now, like, "Where's that any key?" Oh, god! god. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be that person, you know, in ten or fifteen years when I'm—I'm I'm like, wait, what? I, like, I thought I was going to—you know—control Alt Delete. Like, oh, I won't do that anymore. So yeah, I mean, I think it's the humbleness and humility and 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 understanding that like it takes time people need to understand, they need to master their role. So they build a solid foundation. So as they ascend within an organization in their career, there aren't holes. Cause if there's holes in the foundations, you, you continue to move up based on what your strengths are. If you've done nothing to strengthen the opportunities and the weaknesses, like you're going to get exposed. And that's just, that's a way to topple over in the future. And I, I see a lot of that happening where like, whether it's entitlement or just false expectations based on stories that you can read, like take your time, Figure out what you're doing, do it well, and then do the next thing.
2: Yeah.
1: Awesome. Mike, it was great chatting with you today. I know I, I learned a lot and I really appreciate your
0: time. Yeah, thanks a lot. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. And, you know, Jeff, it's always good to see you, man likewise good to, see you guys. Yeah, good to see you guys too it's not just Jeff but I got, I got, a, history, I got a good history with Jeff and, yeah uh, no
2: of course no it was really nice to meet you and uh, thanks for spending some time with us today my
0: pleasure
1: well that was a fantastic conversation with Mike I hope everybody learned a little bit of something I know I did it was great chatting with him and again really appreciate Mike for joining us on the call cheers to that A reminder for everybody that the links for the Reddit threads we discussed will be in the show notes if you want to check them out afterwards. Thank you again for everyone who made it this far for the FreeStar Blood, Sweat, and CPMs podcast. If you do have a spare moment, please check us out on Google Play or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review and subscribe to make sure that you get all of this high quality content directly into your ears. For feedback or suggestions for guests, you can reach us at podcast at freestar.com. Special thanks to Matt Hanline for our music and to Caroline Romano and Paolo Bautista for helping with editing and production and making sure that people know this podcast exists. Until next time, don't forget to add your macros.
2: Later, alligator.
1: I think probably the other problem here is, you know, this person's looking for ad ops talent, but I think we have all the best ad ops talent at Freestar anyways. I mean, we got you, right?
2: Oh, yeah. You have me. We have Jeff. Hey, hey. Oh, so here's the part of the show where we toot our own horns, huh?
0: Yeah, I like that I like <laughs> too. Connie and Carrie, uh, Tommy
1: and uh, Matt and Kyle.